There's a show that Beck and I got into for a little period watching called Next Level Chef. Cooking competition, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's a newer show. Uh, and one of the critics or judges on the show is world famous Gordon Ramsay. I mean, who knows Gordon Ramsay, right? Yeah? And if you know anything about these cooking shows with Gordon Ramsay on it, these people bring up their dishes to him, and what does he do? I mean, he does all kinds of things, is what he does. Uh, well, one thing he does is I'll put up the plate right in front of him, tries it. It's got way too much salt in this. Like, really, you think this is a good dish? Oh, it's so, oof, so salty. Another dish brought up to him. Man, this is like as hard as an old shoe, like to taste. Like, man, this chef really did not cook this well. Just like, whoa, like, could you imagine working for a half an hour, an hour, presenting this meal before him? It's like, oh, here you go. And he's like, trying it. Man, this chef clearly does not know how to put seasoning on their food. You're just like, whoa. But see, we enjoy those shows. Maybe you've seen the clips on YouTube where Gordon Ramsay tries his food and like, this is the worst thing I've ever tasted in my life. And we laugh at it because it's, oh, well, I mean, that's the nature of the show. You're bringing your dishes to be criticized or to be judged by Gordon Ramsay. But I often wonder what it's like to live with Gordon Ramsay or if Gordon Ramsay was one of your friends and he brought that same attitude to like everything in life. <laughs> I mean, I hope he's a nicer guy than that. But imagine Gordon Ramsay was one of your friends, but he was always just as critical and just as serious as he is on the shows. And you invite him over to your, your place, being a fr- nice friend, brought him over for dinner. He comes into your house and he looks around. And he's like, this place looks more messy than a pigsty. And you're just like, whoa, like, I thought you were like my friend. You work hard on this meal, some, maybe some spaghetti and meatballs, and you deliver it to him. And, and he's like, this is like the worst dish I've ever had in my life. And you're just like, whoa, like, calm down. You invite him in, in, into your room, and it's like, oh, it's disgusting, filthy everywhere, all the gross stuff all over. Looks at your clothes, and is like, really? You decided to wear that today? Can you see your shirt and your pants? Like, they don't even match. And you're like, whoa, what's, what's up with all these haymakers, Gordon Ramsay? You're throwing left and right, left and right at us. See, we say, okay, he's critical. He, he's judging them when he's on the show. But if that was one of your friends, and they were always critical of, really, do you see your top? Do you see your pants? You really think that went well together today? Yeah? Really? Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you look in the mirror before? It's like, who, who of us would want to hang around a friend like that? It's like, I don't want a friend nitpicking me, criticizing me, judging me on every single thing that we do. And I want to make sure we are not people who have this thing that is described in Scripture and oftentimes put by people as someone who has a critical spirit. Someone who has a critical spirit is someone who gives unfair criticism to others by fault-finding, nitpicking, quibbling here and there. And guess what? If you're around someone who's like that, guess what? Hey, they steal all the joy in the room, all the, all the excitement. Not a joyful person to be around. And if you're someone who is critical, guess what? You're not going to be a joyful individual. And all those relationships, those friendships that you have, guess what? If you're a critical spirit, you're going to be critical of those around you. And guess what? It's going to be hard to maintain those relationships, those friendships. It's so easy for us to be critical nowadays with other people. As you look around, really, they decided to wear that. They're out in the gym. Oh, man, really? The person thinks they can play basketball? Like, all these things, easy to come into our minds. And maybe we won't say it. Maybe if you had a bad dish that someone made, you wouldn't say, hey, you're the worst chef ever. But maybe in the mind, you're thinking like, wow, does this person really know how to cook? 
Or maybe you won't say to your friend who has mismatched clothes, like, wow, you wouldn't say it. Man, that's the worst outfit I've ever seen in my life. But maybe in your mind, you're thinking, eesh, yikes. Not going to ask for her advice when, when trying to plan an outfit. And that critical spirit comes into our minds. Easy to have a critical spirit, and we need to learn a new perspective in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, how not to be critical like we so often are. Look at James chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 11, cover verses 11 and 12. It says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So there are people who are going around the church, brothers is another way of saying, hey, fellow believer, and they're speaking evil or slandering other people in the church. I mean, picture that. Going around, oh yeah, this person, la la la, that person, la la la, like criticizing others. Hey, hey, don't speak evil. Criticize, slander, degrade, defame other people, other Christians. Don't do that. This is the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So if you are speaking evil or speaking derogatory towards someone else, guess what? You're making yourself kind of a judge over that person because you're putting them down and think of like a judge in a courtroom saying, hey, this is the law and, and I'm saying this is what the law and its impact on your life. You're kind of saying, hey, I'm the one who's looking down at you. And by doing that, you're, it says here, speaking evil against the law and judging the law. So you're taking God's commands God's rules and saying, hey, those apply to you, but guess what? Oh, I'm, I'm kind of above them. Oh, look at you for doing this bad thing. Look at you for doing this sinful thing over here. Oh, yeah, me? Oh, well, let's not look at me. I'm above the law. I'm a judge of the law. I'm above it. goes on, but if you judge the law, you think you're above it, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. We're supposed to obey God's commands, and you're saying, hey, don't judge me by it. I'm, I'm the one who's saying, you got to do it, but, but not me. Verse 12 reminds us, hey, guess what? There is only one lawgiver and judge. And who is that? God. One lawgiver and judge. Who's the one who gave us the commands of Scripture? God. Who's the one who's holding us accountable to them one day? Hey, what did you do with Christ? How did you live in obedience to what I called you to? Who is it? God. I have to stand before him one day. Verse 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge. He, the Lord, who is able to save and to destroy. Contrasted here, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Hey, who are you to speak down against your neighbor? I think it's interesting as you see the law and neighbor come together, you think of the passage where Jesus summarizes the entire law and the prophets, say, hey, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, you shall love your, what is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now here it's saying, hey, you think you're above God's rules? You think you're above God's law and putting down others, slandering others, criticizing others? Hey, think of the law. And I think James has in mind the words of Jesus here when he says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to be a critical person towards others? We need to guard against a critical spirit towards other people. Not be so quick to find or nitpick wrongdoings in other people's lives. What I'm not saying is doesn't mean you can't give feedback. Doesn't mean if someone's doing wrong, oh man, I'm not supposed to criticize or, or fault find. But what is your natural disposition? Is it to give someone all oh, the benefit of the doubt? Or is it quick to condemn if, oh yeah, man, that was wrong. 
Oh, quick to, oh, man, not how I would do it. Not meeting my standards, not meeting my expectations. How do we guard against having this critical spirit? First, I think we need to examine how we view us, ourselves, and how do we view God. How do we view ourselves and how do we view God? If you're someone who is critical towards other people, you're saying, hey, I'm ultimately above you and you're far lesser. And even more so, criticizing others with God's word, you're saying, hey, I'm kind of above God. I'm the lawgiver. I'm the judge. Low view of God. Before you make yourself out to be God by being critical of others, first you need to examine yourself and say, God is above me. God is the judge. God is the lawgiver. Before I point out wrongs that other people are doing, let me first look at myself and see how am I measuring up. Let me not put myself over God's rules, but under God's rules. How do I meet his standard? Point number one, examine yourself with God's word daily. You need to examine yourself with God's word daily. Before you say, oh, well, that person's disrespectful to their parent. Oh, yeah, that person's a liar. That person's always mean to the teachers. Yeah, that person's all. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's pause for a second and ask yourself, okay, God's rules here. Okay, I get it. Yeah, God doesn't want us to be disrespectful. God doesn't want us to lie. But before you're critical of others, how are you doing? Or is it, oh, those rules apply to you, but, oh, the rules don't apply to me? I think an example of this is, you remember back when we were locked in our homes in COVID? You remember that? It was like, you didn't have to go to school. There was like Zoom school. Yay. Uh, remember those good old times? And, you know, all the, the rules there was, hey, there's this virus going around. So what you need to do is stay at home. You remember that? You were, had like dinner with your family every night for like the first time because it's like you couldn't go anywhere and we're gonna have lunch all together and breakfast all together it's like wow and stay at home and all you know the different uh the different leaders both in the state and in the government were hey you have to stay at home hey the rules are stay at home we don't want this virus to to spread stay at home heard presidents say that heard uh senators say and we heard our own governors say that as well hey stay at home what's Interesting in that example was during that command, when we were told to stay at home, the governor who told us to do it, guess, you know what happened? Got caught going to a nice restaurant, a place called French Laundry, and was kind of put on blast by a lot of people where it's like, hey, this guy's saying, hey, everybody needs to stay at home, but it's like, wait, but you're not staying at home. Kind of see this attitude of, hey, the rules apply to you guys, but you know what? I'm kind of above the rules. I'm kind of above that. Now ask yourself before you're telling other people, hey, are you following God's rules? Oh, this person doesn't seem to really be doing it. This person's kind of a, a bad person for disobeying God's laws. Well, are, are you doing it? Ask yourself. Or do you say the rules apply to thee, but not for me? You, not for me. You know who did that? The Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verse 3. Jesus says, hey, Listen to the Pharisees, but don't copy them because they preach, but they don't practice. It's a condemning the Pharisees. These religious leaders who thought, oh, we're so holy because we tell all the people, hey, this is what you should do. But they're saying, Jesus said, hey, guess what? They don't practice what they preach. We need to examine our lives before we are critical of others, before we judge and look down at others for disobeying God's rules. Am I even applying it myself? 
And that's going to be humbling if we ask ourselves that. We're oftentimes more critical of other people's obedience to God's rules than our, than our own obedience to God's rules. Like I picture, you know, someone driving in their car and they see someone getting pulled over on the side and say that person got pulled over for speeding. And you're driving past them like, oh man, this sinner, if only they knew the law and were following the law. But of course, there's, that speeder got pulled over as you're driving 15 miles an hour over the speed limit right past them. It's like, what? You're saying, oh yeah, what a, what a bad person for speeding, but here you are speeding right past them. I know you're not driving, but just think of that illustration. We're quick to judge, criticize others, but how are we doing? What you need to remember is you're going to be judged by God. Matthew chapter 7, I want you to turn there really quickly. Matthew 7 verse 1, it says, judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2, it says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, hey, you judge other people. Guess what? Hey, remember, judgment's coming right back on, on, on you. Oh, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be judged. No, you're going to have to stand before the Lord, and you're going to have a loss in rewards if you don't follow his commands. We're all going to be held accountable before God. So say, judge not that you be not judged. That's oftentimes many unbelievers' favorite verse. Hey, don't judge others. Don't judge me. Hey, Christians are not supposed to judge. Oftentimes in, engaging in all sorts of sins. Hey, you Christian, you're not, you're not supposed to judge, but is that really what this verse is saying? Well, it says, judge not, that you be not judged. Let's think about that for a second. By saying judge not, that is a judgment. You're saying judge not is what you're saying is, well, you shouldn't judge me. That in itself is a judgment. You're judging me for putting a judgment on you. Do you guys see that for a second? I know it's a little philosophical right there. By saying judge not, that is a judgment. Even... In verse 6, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. And this isn't talking about like your, your pet dog or you know, the pigs at the zoo. It's calling people who are kind of disregarding God's rules, call them dogs. Whoa. And it's not like the, the like, cool, like, oh man, that guy's a dog. Like, oh man, that guy's a tough guy. It's like, not that type of dog. It's like derogatory. Like, oh man, a, a pig. Like, who would like being called a pig? It's like, does that sound like a judgment? Like, whoa, judge not. And in verse six, he's calling them pigs. Like, whoa. So clearly it's not all judgment that's wrong, but a certain type of judgment. It's this hypocritical judgment that you're saying, hey, you're not doing this, but guess what? You're not doing it yourself. Why do we know that? Keep reading verse three. It says, how do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. I know this is a wild uh, uh, illustration to use, but picture some person who's got like, picture literally a log in their eye. <laughs> now picture that person going up to someone else who's got a little speck in their eye and be like, dude, you've got a problem. You've got a speck in your eye. <laughs> like, man, that's a problem. Like, uh, you got to get that speck out of your eye. That's not good. <laughs> You'd be like, dude, <laughs> you looked in the mirror recently. You got a big old log in your eye. It's like this person seeing you got a Band-Aid on. It's like, man, what happened? You got a Band-Aid on your eye. Oh, that's a problem. While they've got like their arm chopped off. It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? No, you got a problem. Keep, keep going. Verse four. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck that is out of your own eye. Oh, you sinner, you've got this wrong thing. When there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. 
First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You're quick to criticize others who are doing something wrong. Someone's disrespectful to the teachers. Oh, how dare they? Are you? Oh, well, not in this moment. Well, you ever talk poorly about the teachers? Oh, that person's not praying. They need to be praying. That person's not reading their Bible. That person's not on flip. Are, Are you? Examine yourself first. Romans 2, write this verse down, verse 3, it says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, so people who practice like sinful things, those who are engaged in sinful things, oh, and you judging them, look at them. And yet, it says, do them yourself. Do you think that you will escape the judgment of God? Hey, you're looking down at others because they're doing this wrong. Well, and you're doing the same thing yourself. What good is that? You really think you're going to escape the judgment of God? The answer is no. Remember, you're going to be held accountable before God. When you criticize other people and the, of their sin and are critical of them, ask him, am I engaging in the same things? Because oftentimes we're really critical of others because we're critical of ourselves and we hold ourselves to such a high standard, but guess what? We can't meet the high expectations that maybe you set on yourself. Because they're so high, oh man, I've got to criticize those around to feel better about myself. No, remember your own sinfulness and remember God's grace to you in Christ before you criticize others of sin. But now let's not only think of sin, but maybe you're critical of others because they don't meet your preferences. Maybe it's not a sin issue, but it's, oh man, I would prefer that they would do this and not that. So an example, maybe this is something that was taking place. We don't know what type of slander that James was writing about, but maybe he had in mind what what was taken place a place when Paul wrote in Romans where these Christians were critical of other Christians because they weren't keeping the ceremonial or civil laws of, of the Old Testament. And they thought kind of lesser of these Christians because they thought, oh man, we're supposed to keep the, the Old Testament regulations. We're supposed to keep the civil and the ceremonial laws. Oh, eat this and don't eat that or wear this thing, don't wear that. And when really, I mean, Christ... Christ set us free from those civil and ceremonial laws, and they're saying, hey, I'm looking less of you because you're, you're not meeting my preferences. Well, we should not be critical of other people because of our own preferences. That person, oh, they've got weird clothes. Well, it's not sinful clothes, but oh man, it's kind of not how I would like it. You critical? That person's not as smart as you, so you look down at them. Well, it's not a sin to be less smart than someone else, but you look down critical because, oh man, you would prefer they'd be smarter like you are. That person's not athletic. That person's not very pretty, kind of ugly. Oh yeah, gonna be critical of them because, yeah, not how I would want because I'm, I'm above and beyond them. Not called to be critical of others because of our own preferences. Rather, what we need to always fasten to is God's word, God's word. Examine your own life. How are you doing with not your preferences, but what scripture says? God's word needs to be what you hold fast to. In order to examine yourself in God's word, you have to be in God's word. You gotta be in it. How are you doing with that? Came across 
uh, a post this week where a guy set the world record for the number of days that he went to Disneyland straight. How many days do you think this guy went to Disneyland straight? He went 2,995 days in a row. 2,995 days. Someone did the math yesterday. I guess it's like eight years straight. Isn't that wild? I, I, th- I just think that's absurd. Someone was so committed to, you know what I am doing? Going to Disneyland. Tomorrow, I'm going to Disneyland. What do, you, what do I feel like doing in two weeks? Going to Disneyland. <laughs> I bet some of those days he was sick, right? I don't think he was healthy for all eight years. I'm sure some days he woke up, oh man, don't really, oh, I feel kind of sick. Or some days, oh man, a really urgent and important thing came into their life. Maybe a, a family member got sent to the hospital. Like, unless this guy's got nothing going on in his life. I'm sure some things came into his life and he's like, oh man, uh, man, uh, kind of busy or I'm not feeling good. But you know what he said? I've got to go to the magic kingdom. I've got to go. <laughs> I can't miss a day. I, I've got to be there. Mickey Mouse needs to see me again today. <laughs> it's like, all right, bro. We're like, cool. He was resolved. I mean, I don't know if it's keep going or maybe he's going to keep going every day until he dies. It's like, I can't miss a day. And I bet when he's not at Disneyland, you bet, I bet I know what's going on in his mind. You know what I, I bet he's thinking about when he's not at Disneyland? It's a small world after all. It's like, that's probably just ringing through his mind like 24-7. And he's like, oh man, I just can't wait to hear it again. Take the boats around again. Let's keep going. It's like, I know it's a, a silly example, but man, this guy was committed, dedicated to go to Disneyland. <laughs> Something that, I mean, in the long scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. Honestly, probably wasted time. <laughs> Sorry. To throw that shade on him right there. Like, I don't know. Unless he's sharing the gospel with people at Disneyland, maybe he could use his time to advance the kingdom better. Anyways, before I'm critical of this guy, uh, see right there? How are you doing with being in God's word? Could you say 2,995 days straight and I'm, I'm still going? Oh, Nathan, that's like eight, eight years. That's like more than half of my life. Like, of course, I haven't read that long. Okay, let's divide it by 10. 299 days. That's not even a year. Could you say I've gotten in the word 299 days straight, done my quiet time? Oh, I know, but my schedule's busy. I've got schoolwork and finals and things came up. You're really going to be outdone by some guy who says, I can't miss a day at Disneyland, but you say you can't spend five minutes in the word? Okay, not 299 days. How about this? Divide that by 10. 29 days. Did you say 29 days straight? I've been in the Word. I hope you could say two days straight, right? Two days? We got to be rooted in this book, grounded. And when we come to Scripture, say, I want to apply it. We shouldn't do this thing when we come and hear a sermon like, oh man, this is a... Yeah, Nathan, keep preaching. This is a great sermon for this guy over here, for this girl in my small group. It's kind of like the L-shaped amen, like you're listening to a sermon. Oh yeah, Pastor Mike, keep going because, man, this girl in my small group is really critical. Yeah, keep going. She needs to hear this sermon. It's like, no, that's not how, when you come to God's word, it shouldn't be, oh yeah, for them or for the, how about for you? 
how does Scripture need to change your life? To guard against a critical attitude, first, examine your own life. See your view of self. Second, what is your view of others? Point number two, cultivate a Christ-like love for others. Christ-like love. James 4.11, don't speak evil, slander each other. Don't do that. Don't put yourself above God's law. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Remember what Jesus said. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that, guess what? You're a Christian. By your, that all people will know that you're a disciple. You're a follower of Christ. Why? Jesus gives this one, this one characteristic that other people can know that you're either a Christian or not. By your love for one another. The number one characteristic quality in a Christian's life should be love for others. Well, what does that look like? Got a bunch of subpoints. They're not on the screen, but I want you to write them down first. Christ-like love is caring for the outcasts. Christ-like love is caring for the outcasts. Who did Jesus, did Jesus look down for the lessers in society, the people that would be considered the outcasts of the day? No, Matthew 9, he ate with tax collectors. Same chapter, described as sinners. The people that would say, oh man, yeah, awful. Children, why would Jesus want to spend his time with children? They're kind of dumb. Like, I mean, they don't know anything. Like Matthew 19, Jesus cared for the children. Samaritans, kind of the, the, uh, the sect of society. Oh yeah, Samaritans looked down upon. Matthew chapter four, you shared the gospel with a Samaritan woman. The needy, Matthew chapter nine. The people that we would be so quick to disparage, slander, look down upon. Jesus said, I care for them. The outcasts. Who are the outcasts today? Do we care and love them? The unpopular kids, the unathletic kids, the maybe less mature believers. Do we criticize them or do we love and care for them? Because the rest of society is going to look down upon them. Christ I love second is doing the hard thing for others. Christ I love first is caring for the outcasts. It's also doing the hard things for others. The easy thing is just being critical, looking down upon. No, Jesus did the hard thing for others. John 13, when the disciples had these gross, disgusting-looking feet and dirt all in between them, he could have just slandered them like, man, clean yourself up, you fools. Like, like what do you got all these messy feet? Like, what is, what is wrong? No, he said, I'm going to do the hard thing. Guess what I'm going to do? Wash their gross, disgusting feet. You know why he did that? John 13 Verse 13 says, you call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I, who am God, the Savior of the world, Christ says, if I can do the hard thing and wash your feet, that was job for a servant, guess what you can do? You can do the hard thing for others as well. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives, it says, for the brothers. Be sacrificed, giving yourself up. Oh man, I don't want to do the hard thing for them. No, Christ-like love is doing the hard thing for others. That's second. Third, Christ-like love is helping, not just critiquing. Helping, not just critiquing. picture a family goes to a park and a kid's trying to learn how to ride a bike kid's trying to learn how to ride now picture parents just you know they're sitting there watching 
their son trying to learn how to ride a bike and he gets the bike up. He's got his big old helmet on, you know, uh, tries to get on the bike and as he gets on it, loses balance and falls on over. Could you imagine if the parents were just, <laughs> man, Tommy couldn't even balance? Like, oh, wow, <laughs> look at this guy over here. He gets on his bike a little bit, can't keep it straight because he's still learning that and he's going all over the place, like runs into a tree and the parents are like, oh, wow, what a loser. Like, oh, look at that guy. Wow, cannot even ride a bike. Wow, yikes. I mean, hopefully that wasn't your experience, <laughs> riding a bike. Like, no, your parents, loving you in a Christ-like way, would say, I'm not just going to mock and make fun of you because, oh, you don't know how to ride a bike. No, guess what I'm going to do? I'm coming alongside you, and guess what? I'm going to help you. I'm going to show you, okay, this is what you want to do. You want to maybe keep your eyes straight forward ahead. Hey, here's how you keep your balance. They're going to not just make fun of you, mock you. They're going to say, how can I help you in this thing that you're struggling with? When you see someone maybe doing the wrong thing, not doing the right thing, are you there to critique them or are you there to help them to do the right thing? Do you seek to help others? A person's having trouble honoring their parents. Oh, not my problem. Or do you love them enough to help them? A person's struggling at school. Are you there to help them or just make fun of all oh, men? Man, they got a F on the test. How dumb. When students come in, disrupting in the narrow. Oh, man, that was a hypothetical situation here where some students come in and, oh, man, they're not listening to the leaders and, yeah, you know, a hypothetical situation. Uh, it's like, are you just, oh, man, those, oh, outsiders, oof, bad students. Or you say, man, I want to help them to do the right thing. Or you look down upon them. Or I'm going to help them do what Christ wants them to do. Act how we ought to act here at church. Next, Christ-like love doesn't assume the worst. Christ-like love doesn't assume the worst. So we said Christ-like love cares for the outcasts. Christ-like love is doing the hard thing for others. Christ-like love is helping, not just critiquing. Christ-like love also doesn't assume the worst. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you assume the best when it comes to someone else? Assume the best. Or are you quick to, oh yeah, they probably did the wrong thing. Or do you assume the best? Us as believers shouldn't be assuming the worst in each other. Oh yeah, well, I mean, he probably did the wrong thing. It's like, No. Believes all things, hopes all things, not quick to condemn. Next, Christ-like love is intentionality in your relationships. Christ-like love is the fifth thing, A, B, C, D, E, if you're keeping track. Christ-like love is intentionality in your relationships. Intentionality. I want you to picture yourself going in the future, unless it's already happened, on your first date. Picture yourself going on your first date, or at least getting ready for your first date. I bet as you get ready for your first date, you know what you're going to do? Plan your outfit like the night before. Maybe the girls, it's like, I'm going to have it. I already have it planned. Like, I don't know. It's like, make sure I've got it all set. You know, the guy's got to make sure my hair is just all right, you know. Checking it in the car door as you're walking up. 
all right. You know, making sure you don't smell like a seventh grade guy putting on some de- deodorant. <laughs> like some shade thrown right there into the seventh grade guys. Uh, it's like, man, I want to make sure I don't smell like a guy or, uh, oh, I got to put on the perfume, you know, smell all, all nice. And I don't want to smell like a dude. That would be kind of gross. It's like, oh, smell, you know, make sure you're doing it all right. Guys, you're going to make sure, oh, man, open the door, open the car door for her. And then, oh, man, got to set a good first impression. Maybe go to meet her parents. Oh, man, I got to make sure doing everything. Say, you're, say you go to a restaurant, you're eating, and, I mean, you're probably going to be very careful with every single thing you say, right? Man, I don't want to say anything dumb. Oh, I'm going to do my best, try to make them laugh. Like, you know, I want to have too fun. Oh, man, did I laugh, like, too much there, or was it, like, not enough? And you're like hypercritical thing of everything. Like, did I do it enough or not? Did I smile too much? That was too big of a smile this time. It's like every single thing. Now picture you're in this date and you've really, you feel like, man, I've got to really burp right now. (laughs) Really burp. I bet you're going to try your hardest to swallow, I don't know, like just hold it in. So what, you just don't, right? And it's like, oh man, wow, really? They burp. It's like, like, you're going to hold it in. You're going to be so careful with everything that you do on that first date. What often happens, though, is as dating relationships go on and as marriage is take place and you still go on dates when you're married and if you're married for a long time, guess what? Uh, oftentimes, sadly, uh, you get a little more careless when you go on dates. Oh, man, if I was to burp now, it's like, oh, whatever. Like, like who cares? Like, Oh man, oh she can open her own door. Like, sorry, Becca. Like, you can open your own car door. I don't need to go. It's like, you're not really thinking. Oh man, I can check my phone right now. You know, before it's like, oh no, I don't want to ever be accused of being on my phone. Oh yeah, I can scroll my phone, and it's not. A big... You kind of lose that intentionality and that caring of every single thing. Why? Because you get comfortable, kind of comfortable, lackadaisical. I think that oftentimes can be the case when it comes to our care for those around us. The people that you are spend the most time with or you're the most comfortable around are oftentimes the people that you love the least. Your family, your siblings. You probably are less intentional with them than you are with your friends here in the narrow. Probably treat them a little more carelessly or disrespectful than you do with maybe people at school. Or maybe your close friends at school, oh, you're so comfortable around them that, I mean, who cares what I do? They're not going to, what, stop being my friend? And you lose that thoughtfulness, that care. And oftentimes, sadly, those people in our lives are the people we get the most critical of. Oh, man, why did my friend do that? Oh, they did that? Oh, phew, yikes. Rather than saying, how can I be intentional to care for my friend today, for my parents today? sacrifice for the good of those around you. Lastly, this is F if you're keeping track, Christ-like love is not accepting sinful behavior. Christ-like love is not accepting sinful behavior. So one caveat I want to make clear. Oh, well, we're not supposed to critique other people. So if someone's doing sin, okay, well, great job. Awesome. Yeah, keep it up. Obviously not. (laughs) I mean, Well, Jesus never criticized anybody. Well, how about the Pharisees? You know, he called them whitewashed tombs. Yikes. Whitewashed tombs. It's like, hey, you're you're a gravestone. It's like, what? That's a harsh criticism. Why? Try to think that they were all righteous, but guess what? 
inwardly full of hypocrisy, greed, sinfulness. He wasn't okay saying, oh yeah, great job with your sin. With your sin. No, the people that, he saw their sin, the tax collector sinners, guess what? He cared enough with them to, to tell them the truth. The Samaritan woman, tell them who, who they were, who he was, so they could turn to him. Jesus was willing to call out sin for the good of the other person, because that's what's loving. Not just ignoring sin, but saying, hey, you need to do the right thing. Doesn't mean every non-Christian who sins, you should, oh, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. It's like, okay, we can go overboard there. Probably not. But especially think of the Christians in your life. You're disservicing them if when they do something wrong, you just say, oh, I'm going to ignore it. No big deal. There are times when correction is needed. Even with your unbelievers in your life, are you okay with them just cussing around you? Or would you say, hey, I appreciate if you, you didn't do that? Guess what? You're allowing them to not have greater wrath upon them when they stand before the Lord by saying, hey, can you please not do that, at least not around me? It's not what God would want. Especially your believer, believing friends. James 4.11, don't speak evil, don't slander, but a helpful critique. How you should do that, there are occasional times when criticism is necessary to bring up to someone, and it is needed to correct someone. And when those times are, point number three, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Jesus exposed the Pharisees for their wickedness, but then what did he do? Taught them the truth. Picture you're about to go on that first date. You're getting ready to go on that date. You got a big old piece of lettuce just stuck right in between your teeth. And your friend sees you. Well, I don't want to judge him and criticize him so oh you look great you look awesome yeah perfect have a great date all right good i didn't want to come off as mean and judgmental and not loving it's like no if you love the person you're gonna say dude get that thing out of your t- like you look gross it's disgusting see love is willing to criticize when it's for the good of that person if they're in sin it's it's necessary two easy pitfalls to make here when we are calling out the sin in the life of a brother or sister in Christ. One is to not be truthful. Not be truthful. You can say, well, I want to be so loving, so guess what? I'm not going to say anything to them. It's like I saw a video where uh, some lady was, was uh, trying to test uh, her husband and her son, and so she made, like, I don't know, it was like chili or something, and just put, like, a bunch of like just dumped salt like right underneath this. It was like a spoon of salt with like a little bit of chili on top. And it was like, hey, I made a new recipe. Like, uh, like what do you think? And like gave it and the guy like tried and he, you could tell he was like really trying to keep in his reaction. I was like, like, oh, it's in- interesting. Like, hey, that's pretty good. Like maybe just like a little bit, of, a little bit less salt and then gives it to the son. The son's like, oh, maybe just, that's pretty good. It's like, like that's not helpful. Be the, tell the truth. Don't try to say, oh, yeah, that's sin. Oh, yeah, it's not really a sin. It's kind of like a gray. It's like, no, if they're in sin, say, hey, you need to stop doing that sin. That's the, the wrong thing. It seems to be nice to try to lighten it up, but no, you're fabricating the truth. That's not good. Matthew 18 talks about how if your brother sins against you, guess what? Go and make it seem like it's not a big deal. No, that's not what it says. Go and tell brother his fault. The other pitfall you can say is not being loving. If you're criticizing someone and they're in sin, maybe you are telling them the truth. Oh man, they need to stop sin. Well, 
how to speak the truth in a way that's not loving. You could walk up to someone and smack them in the face with the Bible, like, do the right thing. It's like, that's not loving. <laughs> Ask yourself, how would I want someone, if I was in sin, to lovingly correct me? That's how you should do it to them. How would you want, would you want someone to smack you in the face with the Bible, say, stop being disrespectful to your parents? It's like, oh yeah, now I really want to listen to you. Now you smack me in the face. It's like, no. How would you go about in a way that it would be received well? Titus 3.2, be gentle. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. When correcting, which once again, I hope those, the first two points kind of alleviated some of our criticalness of, man, maybe I should be less critical, but the few times when it is necessary to call out sin in someone's life, and that's a sort of criticism or, or, or judging of sorts, when they're, oh, they're in sin, I need to do it, speak the truth in love. And if you are being corrected, humbly listen. Don't walk away, oh man, if they were, they didn't really say it in love, so I'm going to ignore them. It's like, no, don't be hypocritical of how the, or uh, uh, critical of how the person corrected you. Okay, yeah, maybe they didn't go about it in the, in the way that they ought to, but was it true? Was that criticism accurate? Then receive it humbly. I think we're so quick to be critical of others, and hopefully by changing our view of ourselves and adjusting our view of others, we can adopt a more caring and compassionate and loving attitude towards others, not compromising on sin, not compro- or sorry, not compromising on the truth, but saying, hey, I want to look out for the good of others. Let's pray. God, help us this week and moving forward to not be critical of others hypocritically, to not be uh, looked down on others because we have some sort of preference that we set that they're not meeting Help us to use God's word as the standard for our own lives. Look at how we're measuring up and then sacrificially love and seek the good of our neighbor. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.